Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the awesome Najahi events and IQ. More about them later. Today's subject matter though, cryptocurrency cyber crime. Now we know cryptocurrency exists, but do we understand the risk and security issues around it? And so today's guest was going to focus on talking about this issue and what we can do to protect ourselves. So today's guest is a guy by the name of Richard Sanders. He's here to tell you all about common sense cybersecurity. He's an expert cryptocurrency tracer, not trader, tracer, and cybercrime investigator. Rich has a pretty epic job as the lead investigator for Cypherblade, an investigative agency and security firm. He spends his days working in partnership with the government uh, on hundreds of cases, coordinating investigations of cryptocurrency exchanges and acting as an expert witness for hundreds of cases across the United States. Today, Rich is going to teach us how the majority of cryptocurrency thefts can be easily avoided by just taking a few moments to focus on the right things. So get ready to take your cybersecurity into your own hands and learn how to protect yourself from cyber criminals. Welcome, Rich. Rich, thanks for coming to join us on the show today. I do have a bunch of questions I want to ask you, and I know I have an audience here in the Middle East and in the UK that really have got into the whole world of cryptocurrencies over recent time. Probably most of them don't know what they're doing, if I'm really honest with you. They thought they could make some fast money. Um, they don't understand you know, whether they, they, they use an account where they trade actual crypto or they, they uh, most people don't understand how to transfer their crypto into a wallet. They, you know, they, they're just in this whole world of not knowing what's going on, which leads them to a place which is quite interesting where there's, in their mind, lots of opportunity for really great growth, but also fear as to what could happen to it. And so you're on the show to help make sure we understand all of that. So tell us about yourself, first of all, and um, the kind of stuff you do. Sure. So uh, thanks for having me. I'm Rich Sanders. I'm the lead investigator and one of the co-founders of Cypherblade. Cypherblade is a blockchain analysis company. Um, unfortunately, we are most well known for scam and hack investigations. And I say unfortunately, because I always define the day that when you're going to convince me that this is a mature industry, that's the day when more people are coming to my company before the fact instead of after the fact. Um, so we perform blockchain analysis, which in simpler terms is oftentimes the tracing of cryptocurrencies. And that has a array of applications. It has the investigative application, as just described, um, also pretty useful in courts. So there's a, as one might imagine, with the increase in adoption and value of cryptocurrencies, divorce cases, for example, or, you know, lawsuits against ICOs, that sort of thing. Um, outside of Cypherblade, I'm one of the administrators of Crypto Defenders Alliance, which is a self-regulatory organization, has a bunch of representatives from most of the major cryptocurrency exchanges and the Anti-Trafficking Intelligence Initiative, where I'm an advisor. Um, their goal is to combat human trafficking and uh, distribution of child exploitation material. And they have an entire cryptocurrency wing where I help them out on some investigations. Fascinating stuff. So I suppose before this crypto world existed, you were doing something different? I did uh, 12 years in the army, which uh, <laughs> is a whole trip in and of itself. <laughs> okay, good. So when we talk about cyber crime, I think most people um, will understand the, the kind of the call centers, the email they get through with someone saying, put your details in here because your account has been hacked or maybe some phishing accounts that take place. But it, it's much bigger than that, isn't it? It's a much bigger world. And, and I, I would argue a much more worrying world than that. 
Well, it's much more worrying because the, the first thing that newcomers to cryptocurrency have to understand, these are irreversible transactions by nature. So if you think of traditional fraud, you know, most people are familiar with, for example, the Nigerian Prince emails where the answer was just don't respond. Or most people after that became more acquainted with what's maybe somewhere in the middle chronologically, which is these uh, these call center scams you were talking about, which is they would send the gift cards. I mean, why were they choosing gift cards? Because it's a lot harder to stop those. What was it before gift cards? It was Western Union until Western Union put some things in place. Um, the thing is, when I say put things in place, not really a whole lot that could be done there. And so far as cryptocurrency, these are irreversible transactions. There ain't a centralized power that that's going to say, we're going to change these things about Bitcoin. That requires consensus of a network. And um, you know, even if hypothetically, one particular government were to say, we are going to outlaw cryptocurrency. Because yeah, I get asked this one a lot, especially about ransomware. You know, it, would ransomware stop if Bitcoin was outlawed? The answer is no. Um, so it's it's very critical for folks going into this to understand the irreversible nature of the transactions. And you have to invest some time into not just understanding it, because you should understand what you're investing in, but you want to protect your investment. So let's just summarize that. Nobody really should invest in something they don't understand. I agree with you. Everyone's the Nigerian 419 scam, isn't it? You know, um, I lived in Nigeria for a period of time, so I'm acutely aware of the stuff that went on over there. But, you know, and this was this was 20 years ago and 20 years ago, we were saying, how could somebody fall for that? Yet that even takes place to this very day, you know, where people are getting sort of succumbed by the and it's, it, it's the greed thing, isn't it? It's the get rich quick. You know, I always say. If this, well, there's three things in life. If you should sell these, you'll do very well for yourself. Number one is get rich quick. Number two is lose weight fast. And number three, how to get a million followers quickly. <laughs> if, you, if you can sell that, then, then you're onto a good thing <laughs> because it's so suggestive, isn't it? So what kind of mistakes do you see people make? I, let, let's maybe take me as a good example. I'm, I'm, I'm no expert, but I've learned quite a bit. I have a, uh, an eToro account. I have a Binance account. I have a wallet. Um, I'm not investing all of my money into these spaces, um, but I've taken a proportion of my income and put them into this place. What, what should I be wary of when I buy cryptos? Well, you mentioned the most important thing. So let's start with the scams before we get to the hacks, which is the get rich quick. Um, and in fact, you mentioned it even earlier, which is that people get into this because they want to make a quick buck. If you see something that's offering you two or 3% daily interest, for an unlimited amount of time, it's a scam. I mean, like it's one of those things where there has to be a line of common sense. And kind of the issue with that, it builds into what I was talking about earlier. The only reason something like that would be believable is because people don't do research on, let's say Bitcoin in the first place, right? So understand what you're investing in. If you understand what you're investing in, you're not gonna fall for you know what you described as what would really be or should be one of these obvious scams. Um, because it really is the same old strategy, right? It's the same thing with those Nigerian Prince emails for from you know decades ago at this point. It really feels like I'm getting old if I can remember that. But uh, um, like you know, the majority of people would read that and think it's ridiculous, like you suggested. But they only have to be right, or they only have to get one person out of you know several million attempts. So yeah, that that's number one thing. Understand what you're investing in. Um, you're you're not going to fall for scams that way. And then let's get into hacks. So you mentioned you were talking about eToro and Binance and the sort. Um, you also mentioned you have some of your own wallets. Do you have a hardware wallet? Yes. Okay. Um, in case possibly the audience wants to see what a hardware wallet looks like. 
here's a couple examples. So got a ledger and a treasure. These are hardware wallets. And effectively what those are, are they are ways to transact with cryptocurrencies in a way that your private keys are air-gapped. And in even less techie terms, that's basically a way to make sure that your private keys are hack-proof. Meaning that if you get one of these devices, they're going to include what's called a seed phrase booklet, where you write down your seed phrase. Quite literally, if you follow the instructions for one of these things, and they have these gigantic warnings that say, write this down, don't take a picture, don't store it online, you will not get hacked. I, I guarantee you right now, you could hire the entirety of North Korea, the NSA, MI6, name them, I, I don't care, you cannot steal my cryptocurrency because I followed the instructions. Um, you would but have but to- most, But most people I know don't have those. That's a problem. So like, like nearly everybody. There you go. There's your issue, right? And these alone. So let's talk about the importance of these before I talk about how hack proof I am, because that's less important. Um, if you have these, your computer could be infected with all the malware in the world. It doesn't matter. Um, your accounts could all be compromised. It doesn't matter. If you follow the instructions in these things, which is write the seed phrase down, no remote hacker could access your cryptocurrency. I mean, like, that's it, full stop. So, you know, at that point, it's, you know, don't fall for phishing. Don't treat your seed phrase like you treat your life. No one can take your cryptocurrency. Um, so it, it's really, you know, you mentioned greed as the point for, for the first one. The other one is apathy. So apathy, what I mean by that is that these instructions are very clear. Write this down. Not, I'm going to type this online. Not, I'm going to take a picture. Because what happens? Somebody's Gmail gets compromised and they type it into a Google Doc. Um, somebody's, you know, iCloud gets compromised and they took a picture of it on their iPhone. Um, if you just, the, the instructions are phrased in a way for a very particular reason. So if somebody does that, they're not going to have cryptocurrency stolen from a hardware wallet. Now, is that to mean that you can't or shouldn't use exchanges? No, but it, it's all about proportionality and balance. So one of these devices, they're not terribly expensive. Um, on like the lower end, you could get one of these for like 50 bucks and they have like super fancy models that are like in, in the almost 200-ish range. It, it's not by any means out of a reasonable expense if you're putting thousands of dollars in the cryptocurrency. Um, you know, on the topic of exchanges though, so there are ways to secure exchange accounts too. Um, at a minimum, you should be using strong two-factor authentication that is not a mobile phone number. And that is because it has been a wide known issue for a while now where really SMS two-factor isn't even really two-factor, arguably. Um, so download Google Authenticator or Authy with a proper, uh, proper setup and use it. Because if you do it that way, again, it's going to make it a real lot harder for a bad actor to get to one of your accounts. Um, you could even get fancy and get what's called a YubiKey, which is a tiny little device. It, it plugs into your USB and it's called a hardware key. You push a button, it works the same way as 2FA. Something like that will run you 40, 50 bucks. It's money extremely well spent. Okay, so mo most people wouldn't even know to do that, though. So, so what you've got in, in, in the main is John, average John, he's got a spare, I don't know, $20,000. He's, he's seen all the hype around Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it may be. Goes online, goes to Coinbase, goes to Binance, goes to eToro, opens up an account, transfers money into the account through his credit card or a uh, bank transfer in got some money on there, trade. 
trade excellent stuff and he's seeing the lights flashing the reds flashing the greens flashing and it reminds him of his days when he was buying equities and stuff and he's like i've got this i've got this he's seeing the price going up like crazy he's he also saw what happened a few months ago where it went from 60 down to 30 and he's like oh now's a great opportunity i want to make some money and he's put his money there and then he learns about the next thing someone somewhere talks about um um what uh, pancake swap and says to him you need to get some pancake swap or you need to get some of that and you can't buy pancake swap unless you buy it through ethereum and this is what you've got to do you've got to buy ethereum to buy your pancake swap it's like oh hold on a minute there's an opportunity here and so now we now he's, he's worked out someone's given him some instructions and he's bought that and he's like yes got myself some pancake swap but that leads into a world of really not understanding what he's doing at all. Yep. Where where are the the guys that are or sorry, the people that are looking for victims? Where are they going to find their victims? Well, you mentioned um, yeah, a hypothetical where somebody was being really prompted to get into to pancake swap or, or Binance Smart Chain. Um, so that's actually a really good segue into a very common type of fraud, which is rug pulls, right? Um, because that's not terribly far removed. You know, by that point, somebody, they're a new investor. They don't really understand this stuff. They're kind of rushing into it. So you see how that sets somebody up for failure. Um, they're trying to find, I hear this one all the time. I was just trying to find the next Bitcoin. Look, statistically, the odds of there being a next Bitcoin at this point are pretty slim. Um, and at this point, like there, you know, even years ago, you could have thrown darts at any number of things. I mean, yeah, the odds of finding a, a, another Bitcoin are just astronomically low. Uh, and the other thing I'll also tell folks is there hasn't been a time. Yeah, it, this is really as far as I'm going to go because I, I don't endorse the buying of any cryptocurrencies either way. Uh, but there hasn't been a time within buying Bitcoin where if you didn't just hold on to it for four years, you wouldn't be in profit. So, again, it, it gets into that get rich quick mentality you were talking about. You know, is this ultimately to the consumer an investment? Or are you gambling? That, that is an honest gut check that people have to give themselves. Because if it's an investment, you have no issue holding on to it for three, four years. Stop looking at your portfolio. Yeah, you were talking about looking at all the fancy lights. It, you shouldn't be looking at that stuff. Like these people obsessively look at coin market cap and the, oh my God, it went up 20%. Oh my God, it went down 20%. Get that stress out of your life and stop worrying about it. But if you can't, so let's entertain this scenario you're talking about with Binance Smart Chain. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let, let's get into common sense diligence. So, okay, so you got your, your your cake. Look, and you know, cake's done well, and that's cool. But, you know, there's no indication it's going to perform a certain way or not in the future. There just isn't. Um, some of these companies, uh, or some of these projects, rather, because a lot of them aren't even companies, have been audited. You know, so have they, you know, been audited by a reputable third party? Um, is the team anonymous or not? And I'm not suggesting that anonymous teams are bad, but, yeah, the overwhelming majority of the time when there is a bad situation, it involves an anonymous team, especially when you're talking about DeFi. Um, so I, again, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you describe a scenario where somebody's brand new to Bitcoin. They haven't even really taken the time to understand Bitcoin or self-custodying it. They shouldn't be getting into things like BSC, Binance Smart Chain. I mean, like, take it slow. What are the biggest mistakes people make on a regular basis? What are you seeing overall? I mean, real, real mistakes that have led to, to, you know, real issues. The biggest ones, I, I mean, like you're, you're nailing it. It's a combination of the apathy, 
and they get rich quick. They don't want to take the time to understand security. They don't want to take the time to understand even cryptocurrencies on a real fundamental level, but they want to get rich quick. Sorry, so that, that example you provided is actually brilliant because that's an individual where they probably don't have Google Authenticator or better on their Coinbase account. They probably have never self-custodied, at least for Bitcoin. And then there's somebody that for some inexplicable reason, because I really doubt, and maybe I'm just jaded at this point, but assume anybody that's giving you advice, including me, even though I don't have a motive, assume anybody that's giving you advice has a motive. Now, obviously, I don't benefit from whether, you know, you utilize Google Authenticator or not, but, you know, somebody that's trying to get you to buy PancakeSwap, for example, um, or, or Cake, it's probable that they hold Cake. I'm just saying, like, statistically, that seems to be how these things work. So, you know, nobody out there is going to give you a free lunch or a free advice. Everyone has a motive for you, for wanting you to allocate resources into something. So, yeah, that's really, that's really well described there. Okay, so talk to me about um, the difference then from a cybercrime perspective of something like an NFT and how what the impact of that would be. Because I think people have gone from, they've gone from, well, not investing in Bitcoin, investing in, in, in Ethereum and all that kind of stuff to the then to then your altcoins, which is, there is a gazillion out there, which we can't even pronounce half of them. And then now the new thing is NFTs and people don't even know what it stands for. And even if they do know what it stands for, nobody knows what fungible means. <laughs> so <laughs> a non-fungible token, what on earth is that? But it's, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's rambling on about it. And, uh, and you know, then we had Metacobin that recently bought the $69 million at the auction of, of artwork, which, which is a big deal, you know. And when I interviewed him, he said, look, I had to buy it because I'm creating a metaverse. And so I had to buy it. I had to make sure everybody knew that this was a real thing. What are your thoughts on there and what are the risks around it? Um, I, I mean, look, I, I'm all for an open market. So if somebody, you know, I'm personally not a fan of NFTs, uh, but I'm also, yeah, there's a lot of folks I feel that are kind of tribalist within the crypto space and yeah, trying to suggest that there's no merit to it whatsoever. Um, to state the obvious, it, it was a hell of a market bubble and it, it definitely still is. Uh, but notwithstanding that, I mean, like, it, it's the kind of thing where it's cool to see adoption within limited parameters, right? I mean, you, you mentioned describing the... Um, creation of the metaverse he was striving for on that. And I think that's all really interesting. Um, I think that the fundamental security issues still apply. I mean, that, that's just because of the nature of how these things work on a tech level. Um, so everything involving key management is still there. And really outside of that, it's, you know, an NFT to, to a company like me, it's like somebody's wallet is compromised and an NFT is lost. I mean, I'm saying where it was exchanges. My blockchain analysis is the same after that. So it's it's kind of almost immaterial. Okay. Now let's talk about, you mentioned earlier on with lawyers and whatnot, let's talk about divorce. I'm sure that there's a few people out there that have thought, hold on a minute, I'm going to hide these assets from whoever might want to take them from me in this divorce. Um, back in back in my day, um, we had uh, forensic accounting, I think it used to be called, that, where they'd, they'd go through your ledgers <laughs> and the ledgers, the ledgers weren't on spreadsheets. Um, they'd go through your ledgers to find out what you've got and where you've got it and whatnot. So uh, is, is this Grow, you know, people trying to hide assets. Is it from in divorce settlements? Is this growing? Is this becoming a bigger and bigger thing? Unfortunately, yeah. Um, and it's not even just limited to divorce. I mean, like it's so there's still amazingly a common misconception in 2021, which blows my mind that Bitcoin is anonymous when it is anything but 
Bitcoin is highly traceable or I wouldn't have a business. Um, so the fact that I'm still coming across that out in the wild, like I, I could kind of appreciate it three, four years ago. You know, it might be one of those, OK, an average person wouldn't know that it's a big misconception. But we're years into this at this point. I mean, I just. I, yeah, I know. But you've got to remember, see, 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 I, I own a wealth management business. So I talk to people a lot of the time that, uh, that talk about money and investing. And I would argue that still 99.9% of the population have no idea what the blockchain is. Absolutely. And I'm saying it because like, I I hear it from folks like on the government side too, still these days, like, oh, well, you can't trace Bitcoin. I'm like, anyway, notwithstanding that, I mean, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, It does come across very often in the worst cases. Um, Guys, I hate to say it, it's always you. Granted, that's my anecdotal experience, but it's always the guys. They think they're slick. Um, they they rely on the fact that they like Bitcoin isn't traceable or an expert like me isn't going to get involved in the case. So like I, I mean like you see this stuff and it's just egregious. Like these dudes, there was one dude. He said um he had a, a five figure amount. I'm not going to disclose the amount of cryptocurrency. And I end up finding again not going to disclose the exact amount, but I will say it is a very high million dollar figure. And, and it's just like. And it took me like maybe three, four hours of analysis to do because I had to go through records for two exchanges. And it's like real obvious, right? So that that's the other thing with these cases, the divorce cases I mean. Compared to some of the blockchain analysis we do, the blockchain analysis is simple. I mean, like my company's doing all sorts of fancy stuff to defeat mixers and this, that, and the third. The divorce cases, I mean, like it, it's like these dudes withdrawing from their exchange accounts into one of their self-custodial wallets or something not even like mixing it just it's sitting there and like that's the equivalent just to give a historical example here of like if you were getting a divorce and you cleared out your checking account by withdrawing cash and then trying to tell a judge oh it's just gone yeah that that was basically the whole defense it was like well you can't prove that's my wallet address i'm like i can prove that that is where all of the funds that were within your exchange account were went that were sent to i mean and then <laughs> I love the way you say it, it's the guys. So and, and, and this, this is happening with greater frequency. And mm-hmm. when you say there are other examples out there of it as well, give me an example of where you're seeing that kind of stuff. Is it is it between business partners? Is it is it um corporations that are trying to, to hide stuff from you know shareholder value or something like that? Yep. Um ICOs, that, that was a really big one over the past few well, years. Hold on, let, let, you better explain what that is because people won't know what an initial coin offering is. So just explain that. An ICO is basically a way for a, a company to raise money and then they would give their token in exchange for it in, in the simplest terms. So it was like a, it was a, a way to get access to tokens, often at a discounted rate. Um, they've also done other things that, that are similar to it, like IEOs, initial exchange offerings. Um, perhaps an even simpler way to phrase this, because it would really apply to all of them, is crypto startups in general. Um, um, what, I, what I see with, unfortunately, a lot of these crypto startups is a lot of misappropriation or embezzlement. And it's the same thing. So here's the real amazing thing, unfortunately, about this industry. We are in, by nature of this technology, a position to be more transparent than ever. And there is just such a lack of transparency with a lot of these companies where it really calls into question. And it, like that's actually kind of one of the promising things about DeFi. A lot of these DeFi projects, even the ones with the anonymous teams, are ironically more transparent than a lot of these companies that did like ICOs and have public-facing team members. They have like 
um, like treasuries and they do transparency reports and it's all on the blockchain. Whereas like you look at a lot of these ICOs and, you know, I'll look at investor funds and, and I'll trace them through it. I say that they're literally sending it to the other ICOs and gambling sites. And yeah, it's the kind of thing where no investor would expect their funds to be utilized for that. There's, there's no, yeah, the purpose of running an ICO is to run a business, right? Not to speculatively trade with investor assets on, on Binance. So, <laughs> so when, when you think about this industry that you're in and the business that you've established, most people will look at it and say, this is clearly a fairly new industry trying to deal with a problem that's been created over the last 10 years or so. Is, is, it, is your industry highly competitive? Uh, obviously, it's very highly specialized, but is it highly competitive or are there just a, a few organizations out there doing the kind of work that you do? It is certainly not highly competitive. And I don't care how horrible of a businessman this makes me sound because please, uh, I, I need competitors. Like there is enough room in this space for at least five more companies at the scale minus, like minimum, and that's me being conservative. Um, we turn down the overwhelming majority of work requests we get in our email. Um, yeah, it, it is really bad. So there, there are very, very few companies that are doing this type of, of analysis. Um, and really, it is a two-pronged issue. There, there needs to be more investigators. Um, there needs to be more companies like ours. There needs to be more on the law enforcement side to understand and, and have the capabilities to do these things. Um, courts as well. I mean, like there, there probably would be some benefit from having an expert like me. It's like a single joint expert within, you know, I'll, I'll defer to an attorney on how they would want to distribute that. But just across the board, there, there is nowhere near enough companies or people with these skills. And it's a major issue. And it's got a thing where we've really got to start addressing that now, because as these things continue to get adopted, it's going to just continue to burn out folks like me. <laughs> So again, let's just go back to that divorce then. So the vast majority of divorce cases where there is some money hidden in, 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 a, in a wallet somewhere isn't being found. Absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind that's the case. In fact, I would tell you that, so there's also very few experts on this stuff. And when I say experts in that context, I'm talking about in the legal, like testifying expert context. Um, I've come across extremely few experts that know how to do this kind of work. Um, unfortunately, I've also come across some experts that have no experience doing this type of work and try to play off like, oh, well, you know, I, I've done IT for all these years or, yeah, there's also unfortunately starting to become some companies out there that, yeah, they have a, a less than stellar blockchain analysis tool and they took like a half day course and they try to pass themselves off as experts and, yeah, either the case to your point is going to be decided unfairly because the person is being dishonest or they're going to loop in an expert who has no idea what they're talking about and just trying to make a quick buck. So it's interesting, you know, when I was younger, we had an industry that the world hated, well, the UK hated, and that was double glazing salespeople knocking on doors, selling the UPVC windows and doors. And it was kind of like the, the, the armpits of the earth worked in that industry. And, and, and it was talk, talked about very negatively. And then in more recent time, we've had the social media industry and people that run agencies doing social media for different companies. And the vast majority of them are sharks and charlatans. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to do it, but they're charging a, a retainer fee of five, $10,000 a month to a huge amount of people when they really don't know what they're doing. And I look at that as the kind of like the modern day version of double glazing sales. And then you then you, you go forward another few years and you're going to have you're going to have a lot of people that will be listening to this going, well, hold on a minute. Maybe this is a business I can set up and get into. But if there's not many, there's not many businesses doing what you're doing, then you're making hay while the sun shines, obviously. But 
there's going to be people thinking, how do I get into that? So how did you study? What did you study? How did you learn? I know you're in the military, but how did you get into it? Well, I, I could describe how I got into it. I, I would also describe how one could get into it now. So how I got into it, to, to make a super long story short, um, I, I've been doing this for, let's say, a few years before Cypherblade. And, and really what I had come to realize is that there was no company that was stepping up and providing this as a service. Um, so there were some companies that were already in the space, like Chainalysis or Crystal or CypherTrace. Um, but not any of those companies was focused on doing this as a service. So those companies, what they do at the real like core front and center is they provide tools, whereas we provide services. So Chainalysis provides Reactor, which is their analysis tool. Um, CypherTrace provides their tool. Crystal provides their tool. Um, and that is something where an investigator, you know, with a company like ours or with law enforcement will use or like an exchange compliance officer will use. Uh, so that's how that all got started up. And really, how did I, how I learn the rest? I mean, really self-taught. Um, there's really not many terribly courses out there, um, except for one, which I will talk about when I will describe how do you get into this now. So how do you get into this now? So here's the like real no-nonsense lay of the land. Um, when it comes to blockchain analysis tools, as of right now, Chainalysis makes the best tool by a multiplier. I have, you know, no skin in the game, no net benefit of telling you Chainalysis is the best. That's just, it is what it is right now. Um, if for no other reason, and, and there are other reasons, what's called attribution, which is their labeling of wallet addresses, it is simply a much more effective tool. It is also much more expensive. Um, and that's not to say these other tools don't have merit. You know, it, it's, I, I see a lot of promise in them but the price reflects it. There's a massive disparity. Um, getting a, without getting into the financials, uh, that is a barrier to entry for a lot of folks is getting a license for a tool like that. Um, that being said, you know, even if you wanted to just explore whether this is something that one might not want to make a career out of or to learn more about it, there's not a whole lot of good courses out there. So for Chainalysis, they have a CRC, which is the course you would need to understand and utilize Reactor. Um, it's, yeah, again, it's, I'm looking at a pile of applications. If you have CRC on your application, you're applying to my company, you're immediately at the top of my list. You could have certifications from 20 different cyber institutes, and you could have a, a you know, PhD and 30 other things in your resume. But, you know, in this line of work right now, if you're doing blockchain analysis, you're doing it the, the best way possible, you're utilizing Chainalysis Reactor. And that kind of just is what it is. Um, so that's how you would get into it now. You know, take CRC, um, maybe get some experience working for a cryptocurrency exchange as like a compliance officer. There's tons of jobs out there. Like if you get CRC right now, you're going to have a job. Full stop. And clearly paying very well as well. Yep. How do you choose the clients you deal with? Um, well, well, there's a few, I, I guess you could say criteria to even be one of our clients in the first place. So if you're looking within the context of a scam and hack investigation, we are not even going to consider a case where it's anything less than $100,000 in loss. And the reason for that is because of the fact I wouldn't feel it ethically okay to sell our services to somebody that lost less than that because I already know law enforcement is not going to take any action. Right. So really, like, there's two routes that, that are taken when somebody you know, has a scam or a hack situation and they come to my company. And the one that most people take is that we investigate it, we work on a report, you know, we deliver this report to law enforcement, we work hand in hand with them. Um, the only other route is that, you know, sometimes folks that lose a lot of money, they, they already have an attorney, so we'll work with them and, you know, file subpoenas that way. 
Um, but I could tell you with, with anything less than $100,000, I'm not going to get law enforcement to take those efforts. So that's kind of criteria one. Um, beyond that, I, I mean, it, it's really, is the case viable to investigate, right? So there's that's why one of the things we ask for right out of the gate when people email us in such a situation is we need the transaction hashes. We need to be able to look at this in the blockchain and say, does this make sense to investigate or not? Because there is such a wide array of, of bad actors out there and how sophisticated they are and how sophisticated their laundering is. Um, you were talking earlier about the Nigerian 419 scammers. I mean, they almost never launder. I think I've seen a Nigerian actor use a mixer twice out of several hundred cases. Um, most of the time, it's pretty much going to be like direct deposits of one of their exchange accounts. Uh, and that's uh, pretty easy to investigate. Obviously, the other side of that is getting the NPF or the EFCC, Nigerian authorities, to work with Western authorities, hit or miss. Um, you could have the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is like, a, like let's say, a sophisticated hack. You know, had something to do with, you know, phishing and malware and you know, DPRK related, let's say. Um, those are very resource intensive because you're dealing with mixers and laundering networks and OTCs and really restrictive jurisdiction, um, you know, Russia, China. So um, it, it's really going to depend upon is the juice worth the squeeze? And we'll circle back and let the client know that. And do you charge like uh, uh, per project or per hour? For your, you know, you're charging for your time. How does it work? So we're charging per hour. And that's the question we get all the time is like, can you work this contingency only? And no company is ever going to work this stuff contingency only. There's upfront costs. And it's also the kind of thing where we don't have direct control of what law enforcement is or is not going to do. So we can't operate a business on, you know, actions that are relying upon, you know, government, right? That, that's just obviously not going to be sustainable. Um, so we, you know, we do take a partial contingency to keep our costs somewhat lower, but we do charge an hourly rate. It's not a cheap hourly rate. And that's also, um, you know, a part of why we're not looking at cases under $100,000 right now, because uh, it is not a cheap hourly rate. Hey, whoever's listening to this right now or watching this, Rich, let me tell you something. Whatever their industry, if they were one of the only few companies in their industry and they had a almost a monopoly and they could make hay while the sun shines, then they would be charging a very handsome hourly rate as well. So you know, that's commerce, isn't it? So, you know. I mean, it's a kind of thing where without even saying the hourly rate, what I can say is, is I would rather people take my advice and not need my company for a scammer hack investigations because without saying the hourly rate, you can get both of these and it's going to cost you less than our hourly rate. So just okay, so like rather than need my company, just get these and follow the instructions. Okay, maybe if you can do me a favor at the, uh, after the show, send me the link that you've got to the one that you've got in front of you there. We'll add that link to the podcast, then people can know they can go on that link and buy it and save themselves a huge amount of time on the back of Rich's advice. I will happily do that and note that it won't be a referral link because here's another good bit of advice. If anybody is referring you to something, they probably have a financial interest, in it, especially in the crypto oh, yeah. space. <laughs> so be very careful about that stuff. I see that all the time. Use this centralized service that hasn't been audited. And yeah, they won't even disclose to you that it's a referral link or like I see like these folks where like they're freaking investors in these companies and they don't disclose it. So yeah, always got to be careful in that stuff in this industry. Yeah, it happens all the time. I agree with you. Rich, I really appreciate you taking time first thing in the morning in Pittsburgh to come and join me uh, on the show and share some of your wisdom. Let's just before we finish, just give our top tips summarize it all for everybody okay do not and do what other things you should not and what things you should do okay just three four points do not get greedy um 
do not under any circumstance provide your seed phrase or private key or credentials to anyone for any reason. I don't care if they claim that they are support. I don't care if they claim that they are the, the, the president or the prime minister or the CIA or the FBI or you know, God themselves. Nobody needs your seed phrase or your, or your login credentials. Um, do your own research, uh, DYOR. It's a really common phrase in the industry. Um, don't take it lightly. Um, do take the time to follow wallet setup instructions. Do take the time to understand the security settings that are available for all of your exchange accounts. And that could be anything from utilizing Google Authenticator to hardware keys, as well as any accounts that are associated with that. Um, so the most important account to associate by proxy is going to be your email account, because people tend to use usually a Gmail account. It's kind of like a login for everything else. You can secure that the same way, um, you know, hardware key or, you know, Google Authenticator. You follow that advice, you just don't get greedy and you, know, you, you invest a responsible, reasonable amount of time and money into your security. You can't go wrong. Okay, and the dues. Well, that's what I was saying with the dues is, you know, look at your, do look at your security settings, see, see what is uh, okay, so there. Do, okay, do that. Yep. Okay, understood. And, and lastly, um, if people wanted to, who knows, there may be a few people right now that are thinking, I need this guy. If people wanted to contact you and say, hey, this is my problem. How much does it cost? Okay, how do they get hold of you? Do they go to your website? Do they go to your email? What's the best way? Um, well, folks could, could go to our website or, or they could email us. It would be hq at cypherblade.com. Um, I'll, I'll say this, you know, if I would rather folks come to us because they want to understand security, you know, if folks want to have a chat with someone on my team or me, you know, sit down for an hour to talk uh, preventative security, that's going to cost you a hell of a lot less than uh, an investigation for losing your life savings months uh, down the line. So if that's something folks want to do, great. Um, and I do highly encourage that, you know, do your research on the stuff. There's pl plenty of really good content out there that I would recommend reading. Um, yeah, again, if you're putting in, you know, five, six figures minimum into this, then it, it's really well worth your time to, you know, invest a couple hundred in, into hardware wallets and whatever else you need. Invest, you know, at least, you know, really, if folks put in three, four hours into this stuff, the average person can really secure everything to become, you know, remotely hack-proof in three, four hours. It's time that is absolutely essential. Okay, perfect. Rich, thank you so much for your time coming on the show. You said so much wisdom and value. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I wish you a wonderful day ahead over in Pittsburgh. Wish you a wonderful day as well. Thank you for so much for covering what is an absolutely important topic. Yeah, absolutely. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi Events and Najahi Tribe. Now, Najahi sounds like an unusual word, and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world-leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years, and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries. Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, uh, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi Tribe recently, where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. 
I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoy these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I'll see you soon.